Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast contains explicit language. Is this like, why is this here? That's a pop screen or a windscreen. It doesn't make our plosive sounds sound weird. On the screen. So it would sound like... You don't want an overly plosive Pelosi sound. Plo, plo. Pelosi! 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 Plosive! We can undermine it if you want. That's fine. Sibilance. 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 Severus Snape. So that happened... This week, Indiana Governor Mike Pence took a fusillade of fire for having signed a new weird version of a Religious Freedom Restoration Act and attempting to pass that law off as something that didn't enshrine the right to discriminate against members of the LGBT community. Now, the walk back is on. Meanwhile, there's hope for millions of Americans living on the ragged edge of homelessness. Policymakers are having more and more success with this idea that maybe the best thing you can do to stop homelessness is to give people these things called homes. It's so crazy that it just might work in the most cost-effective way possible. Finally, this week we had April Fool's Day. You know, that one day every year where you can't trust anybody? Is this day a delightful opportunity for frivolity, or is it a terrifying period of publicly sanctioned emotional predation? Today, we will talk about our experiences of having been to the dark side of the so-called holiday. I'm Jason Lincolns, here today with Huffington Post reporters Jen Bendery and Arthur Delaney. Nothing you are about to hear is a prank, unless this is a prank many, many years in the making. But here's what happened first. Hey, everybody. It's uh, So That Happened, this podcast, where we talk about things that happened. For the Huffington Post, I'm Jason Lincolns. We're here in our Washington, D.C. studio, and I'm joined today by... Jennifer Bendry. And what do you do, Gen- Jennifer Bendry? I cover Congress and the White House. For the Huffington Post. For the Huffington Post. And with us today also is our good friend... Arthur Delaney. Who is senior something or other. You can just call me a reporter. You can just call him reporter. Senior dog haver. The last, the last time I did this was with Zach, and he said his title was senior economic reporter. No. Something. He said it very it's seriously. Senior political economy reporter is right. the title. Like, where, where did that come from? You can't make fun of it enough. <laughs> yeah. We decided that, I think we decided that my title was fart sauce. <laughs> so. Did everyone have a nice week? I had the stomach flu. So <laughs> what? Oh, did you? Yep. Didn't realize that. I had that too. I probably gave it It was to like you. 24 hours. I don't know where it came from. Uh, people are lucky. Oh, what the hell am I, I doing like, in this room? How about you, Arthur? How was your week? It was a it was an okay week. So just okay? Yeah, it was fine. You didn't learn, grow? No. That's good. You know, it's not it's not always important to learn and grow. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you know the seed of a lesson was planted this week and later I'll look back and realize <laughs> That I learned something, but I don't have any perspective yet. It's only the weekend. It's still at Thursday. This time. Feels like we have more time to assess. You're right. Perspective will settle in probably tomorrow at around uh, <laughs> around three. And, and thanks for thanks for blowing up our spot, <laughs> telling people it's actually not Thursday. It's just whatever day Are we it is. Supposed to be timeless. No, it's, <laughs> it's like when you write a story, you say what day it is, uh, <laughs> but you don't say like today. We are Thursday. It's not. It's whatever day it is that the listener is on right now. Right. So it could be Tuesday of next week. It could be a year from now. We're. I mean, we're hoping that like a year from now, someone discovers this podcast and is like, "I'm gonna go back and listen to the thing they did on April 2nd. But they don't know what date it is. Now they do. That's right. So we are <laughs> I mean, in many <laughs> in many ways we are timeless. And yes, now I said specifically it was April 2nd when we recorded this. So all right. Well, <laughs> I guess we've like this is a. This is a new Brechtian experiment in podcasts. <laughs> you know, we've we've alienated you from the illusion of of time. Okay, so uh, but Deep. speaking of alienation, let's just talk about the biggest craziest story this week. Uh, these uh, religious freedom restoration acts that have been 
enacted or people have attempted to enact them in Indiana and Arkansas, um, which uh, which everyone caught hell for because in Indiana, at least, uh, it sort of opened the door to discriminating against the LGBT community. Now, Jen, uh, I know you're going to say, well, you've, you've once again brought me onto the show to talk about gay stuff. Gay stuff. Right, but, you know, we, we actually have. do respect your expertise in a lot of areas. Token. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for being here, though. So a microaggression has been yeah, committed. Yeah, so we've already microaggressed. And it's April 2nd, and it's Thursday. Stop! Right. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> Dear listener, do not listen to her. Everything is worse. So, but today, today after just a firestorm of controversy, Indiana's revised their law. Today. And now there are protections <laughs> for LGBT. I'm sorry, I'm time... I like to keep time perspective. All right, we're, we're, we're going to dispense. We can delete all of this. We can't delete all of this. <laughs> We've been talking for like five minutes. We can't just delete it. All right, we just what we can do is bravely move forward, okay? I'm going home. <laughs> all right, we're all, we're all giving up on this already. No, but seriously, what it, it was, it's insane how quickly this, this uh, everything broke in the story. Yeah, and uh, and the governors of these states wanted do-overs. Yeah, well, I they mean, wanted to go back in time and undo their terrible mistake. I'm not sure. I think Pence, Mike Pence, the the governor of Indiana, uh, was sort of drag kicking and screaming into this. He um, he was on uh, George George Stephanopoulos' show this week with George Stephanopoulos, which only sometimes has George Stephanopoulos. I don't watch it anymore, but I watched this segment. Uh, where Stephanopoulos asked him six times to sort of just clarify whether or not this law, either by intention or accident, essentially enshrined the right of private business owners to discriminate against gay people. And the reason he asked that question was because a conservative supporter of the law in Indiana said that that was exactly what it would allow. He was totally excited about it. it. Eric Miller of Advance America... Uh, yeah. which is a lobbying group in Indiana of some nature, like actually was sort of like crowing about the fact is like, yes, we've actually, we've actually get this benefit from this law. We can know, we, we no longer have to like cater gay weddings, blah, 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 blah. Boom. That kind of stuff. So it was like kind of awkward for Pence, who strangely enough had to like stood there and, and like pretend to not be against discrimination when we know that Pence is like, you know, obviously has great antipathy for the LGBT. LG. I'm going to, I can't get those four letters fast. So the gay community, uh, the LGBT community, he has great antipathy for them. He does. He has a terrible record. I mean, it doesn't take much to see it. Just look at his record in Congress. He's voted against all kinds of LGBT bills and, and LGBT rights bills. And he's spoken out clearly saying that he doesn't think that gay people deserve quote unquote special rights or, um, you know, it, it, he's a tr- man of tradition and conservative value. I mean, all this, all those buzzwords that you always hear. Right. That's him. Now, the country has changed a lot from the time when he was a member of Congress, and the polls have shown much broader acceptance of gay people and gay rights. Yeah. Even but, for younger conservatives. And it, yeah, e- even people like Mike Pence have uh, changed their tune, and he came out and said, I abhor discrimination. Acted like he was totally against it, but it, it seemed like a, a great instance where his record was extremely relevant and he couldn't get away with it. He also said many times, and it, I was completely puzzled by this, he said many times that the RIFRA, and he wrote... The Religious Freedom was, Restoration was, Act. ...was akin to the RIFRAs. It's just fun to say RIFRA. <laughs> we can all agree on that, right? Yeah. RIFRA. RIFRA. Uh, it, it was akin to RIFRAs that were enacted on the federal level by President Bill Clinton, uh, then-President Bill Clinton, and uh, in the neighboring state of Illinois, which then in Illinois State Senator Barack Obama voted with the unanimous majority in passing. Uh, but he kept claiming it was it was the same. That, it, was, it was in a couple ways very, very different. One way is, is, is that it made um, <clears throat> prior prior RIFRAs uh, help people uh, 
maintain their religious beliefs and actions the government took. The government always had to be a party to any lawsuit. This opened the door for uh, private businesses to discriminate against individuals and there be, you know, and they were free of any legal repercussions for having done so, which made it, it different. And it made what they ch- attempted to pass in Arkansas different. And I was, I was weirdly disappointed by a number of uh, normally sort of intellectually consistent conservatives who continued to maintain that, oh, it's the same law as was passed on the federal oh, level. That just makes my blood boil yeah. when I hear that. And tell us, Jen. I'll tell it, girl. I was watching MSNBC this week. Maybe you guys saw it. Ruth Marcus was on there. Yes. And it was like the most ridiculous exchange I've seen in a long time. Luke Ressert was hosting whatever show that was. And maybe it was now. Yeah. And they just had it back and forth, you know. So what's going on in Indiana? And she said, well, I don't, you know, I feel for Governor Pence because his his law is just the same as a federal law that Bill Clinton signed in yeah. 1993. And it's just like 19 other states' laws. And Luke Russert was like, okay, great. Well, thanks for coming on. And that was the end of the segment. I was right. like, And that is ah! a, a typical uh, way that I think supporters of these laws in the current political context are just throwing up dust. Can we also just say that that the the sheer uh, existence of a clip between Ruth Marcus and Luke Russert is in and of itself uh, a sign of America's intellectual decline. Oh, <laughs> low blow. Listen, no, fair yeah. blow, fair blow. In the Washington Post, actually, uh, some guy from The Fix, which is uh, a, a, a section of their website named after what a heroin sufferer feels on a daily basis that, that they need, uh, actually published an article that said, you know, this is like 19 other laws. And, it, and like, right. people were, like, tearing out their hair because it was like, wow, that's just fucking wrong. Yeah, they're, they're, they're taking all this context, which often is a way to help explain something and bring a, about a better understanding. But it's context that does the opposite. For instance, when the federal RIFRA was signed by President Bill Clinton, the purpose was to help accommodate Native Americans who had taken peyote and were and were then disqualified from unemployment insurance. They were saying this is part of a religious ritual, so you're burdening our First Amendment uh, expression. Gay people weren't part of the story at the time. Right. The context of the Indiana law is nothing other than poking gay people in the eye. These laws have been promulgated in recent years in response to the advance of gay rights. And that is the correct context of what's happening yeah, right Yeah, basically, now. basically. What I wonder is, is there, how much of a need is there for these state laws? I know there's a federal law. It only applies to federal disputes. So the, and, and the Supreme Court said, okay, the federal law doesn't apply to state disputes. So states have their right to pass their own. So, okay. So it's, I mean, if everybody in all the states mirrored the federal law for their state law, then that would be a justifiable law to pass? Are this we, is, uh, are we this at this is, point still, or do we not need this anymore? Uh, this is another way that I think people have tried to cloud the issue by talking about the, th- the actual theoretical impact of these laws and how what they do is give an additional defense to people if they're defending themselves in a lawsuit alleging uh, you know, a, a civil rights violation. And, you know, all the states have different laws in the background of this. And uh, in a sense, that conversation, while helpful, obscures the fact that the the message is really important to the passing of these laws. It it made me think of proposals to drug test the poor and unemployed. Yeah. Which uh, are inevitably, in order to, to not be struck down by courts, have to be watered down so much that they don't really ever affect anybody. They never become law because of these hurdles. But that doesn't matter to the people who propose them. It's about the message. Yeah. It's about poking uh, the safety net in the eyeball. And and I think that is the important thing to keep in mind about, about these laws. So do you think Indiana. states should have them then? Like, I can't figure out personally, like, should states be interested in needing, like, do they need a state refra that, let's say, mirrors the, the federal law that everybody supported? I mean, what about that? What about a Native American who's unemployed who uses peyote for religious reasons? Should he be able to, you know, point to a state referral law and say, hey, like, you can't deny me unemployment benefits because of my peyote use? I mean, it seems like in that one weird example, yeah. that I agree. Like, that's not fair. I he feel, I, unemployment I feel like when the state passes a law like this, they kind of affirm the fact that they're aware that 
these are issues that they need to be prepared to contend with. You know, they don't get to. I, I think that I think that it's possible that if there was just a federal law in the books, these things would happen throughout the states, and there would be contentious issues. The federal government would be called in to settle it. People would have to cite this law. And if you if you have a state law in the books, at least all lawmakers are sort of aware. It's like, oh, yeah, we recently affirmed these same beliefs. The, the interesting thing, of course, about the federal RIFRA is it still, you know, creates very thorny issues where accommodations need to be made between disparate groups in, in, in more sincere uh situations. You know, the, the Hobby Lobby case, which I think a lot of people, you know, objected the way it came out, it's still a pretty good example of like one of these situations where different groups of people and their sincerely held beliefs, their need to they need to find some accommodation between the two of them. And in the Hobby Lobby case, it was a situation in which private business owners felt like the government was intruding on their rights. It wasn't this kind of case in which a private business, private for-profit business, and a customer were having a dispute. It yeah. was it was perceived, probably rightly, that the government was stepping in and someone needed to do something to clarify the position. Whether or not the clarification worked out to anyone's satisfaction, that's a different that's a different matter. Uh, but in this particular case, I think you're right. It is kind of just like sort of enshrining discrimination. And one of the interesting things, of course, is that is that we found out very quickly that when a state publicly proclaims themselves to be in favor of discriminatory business practices, lots of businesses say, okay, cool. UBU, Indiana, we're going to take our business elsewhere. That was the biggest, the big thing about right. this story was how the business community lashed out. Yeah, and one of the things that stopped the Arkansas law dead in its tracks was when Walmart said, okay, nah, we don't support this law. You yeah, that was, that was huge. And it is worth noting that business trumps ideology in this case because Walmart isn't exactly a pro-gay rights company. No. <laughs> I mean, they've done plenty of things that have actively gone against LGBT rights in Arkansas sure. and beyond. They just are more interested in their bottom line than they are in, uh, yeah. you know, blowback. <laughs> Asa Hutchinson really hung out Mike Pence to dry. Yes, he, he kind of did. That was remarkable. And people were not expecting him to come out and say, I'm sending this bill back. I don't want none of that. And my P.S., my son told me that I shouldn't do this, which was um, also so fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's that whole, it comes back to that whole thing that the LGBT community always says, which is, we all know someone who's gay, right. whether they're in our family or friends or whatever. And you're going to start to see over time that people don't, they, there's a, they see the difference between the concept of gay rights and then, like, their brother yeah. yes. being gay. And people are, more people are realizing that they already do know somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a conversation. I'd love to get your take on this. But uh, my wife and I were talking about how interesting it is that it seems like, uh, to a certain extent, the LGBT community, as far as, like, asserting themselves as, as deserving of equal rights, has, like, kind of, like, entered the sort of accelerated realm where they are, they, they seem to have a, a, a widespread public support and have like closed the <clears throat> gap so quickly in ways that that women, in, in, in sort of like general sense, in, in African Americans, say example, other ethnic minorities haven't done. And my, I have a theory about that. My theory being that like one of the issues is that to a lot of people who think, oh, I don't think I can get with gay people, it's still theoretical. They don't actually know gay people. They haven't met gay people. Once they do, most of them are like, oh, okay, they're cool. I don't know what I was thinking. You know, maybe I thought they're just like, sex was gross or something weird. <laughs> but now that I know them, I'm just like, that's cool. They should be able to do that. Whereas someone who like actively wants, a person who, in other words, a person who actively thinks they want to oppose gay rights probably doesn't know any gay people because we can't observe gay people in nature uh, the way we can a woman. Or African American, like if you're if you if you're against women, women's rights, if you're against you know civil rights for for African Americans, I mean, there's no theory about it. You're like in for a penny, in for a pound, and so it's a stronger kind of emotional, emotionally felt conviction discriminating against them. Do you feel like that might be what what's driving the ex sort of accelerating nature? Uh, I think that <clears throat> it's a couple things. I think that. Um, I think the gay community has money. That's true, too. And I think that they have more influence in elections than they used to because they have money. Yeah. And I think the community is very organized. And uh, I think that's a big part of it. 
sadly. <laughs> I mean, the gay I, community has money. Yeah. Ex- uh, could you elaborate on that? Uh, yes. Um, particularly gay men have money. They have a lot of expendable income. They don't have kids a lot of times. So they're willing, but what you mean is they're willing to uh, donate this money yeah. to advocates. Yeah. That's interesting. And beyond that, I think, um, I mean, they're huge. They were huge supporters of Obama. Yeah. Like, huge. He couldn't afford to tick them off at all. And beyond that, I think that... Um, Even though Obama was <clears throat> coy forever about whether he supported marriage equality. People knew what That was thought. getting to the breaking uh, breaking point, but prior to that, he did all this other stuff. Like, gay marriage was not the only thing. Remember, don't forget about Don't Ask, Don't Tell. That was huge. Yeah, it's true. And he did other stuff on hate crimes and um, employment. He more recently did stuff on employment discrimination. I mean, he's just, like, done all kinds of stuff on, on LGBT rights, way more than just same-sex marriage stuff. Um, so beyond the money aspect of it, I think that um, it's interesting when conservatives come into this because conservatives, true conservatives, want less government. And they'll start arguing that, you know, why should the government, you know, be stepping in and determining marriage laws and, yeah. you know, stay out of it. Let people do what they want. And so yeah. there's a weird faction like Dick Cheney. Like, you have weird people from the right who are like, I got no problem with gay marriage. It's kind of holdover you know? from way Barry Goldwater felt. Yeah, it's like old school conservatives. So yeah. it's just, and then there's just, between those two things happening, I think, I don't know, it's be, it's becoming more visible in media, and yeah. people are just becoming more familiar with, with gay issues and gay people, and put that all together, and it's a big step forward. And younger generations yeah. see see the issue of discriminating against gays as ridiculous. Well, even Obama has said, like, he was sitting at his dinner table with his family, and one of his daughters was, like, talking about her gay friend, and he was just, th- like, like no big deal at all, and he was just kind of, you know, taking it all in, like, wow, like, that's so different from when I was a kid, you know, and she's just t- telling a story, and that's just, like, an aside. My friend at school, he's gay anyway, blah, 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 yeah. you know? It's just, it is generational, for sure. So this, uh, I wonder if uh, you use the term death rattle to describe the way Mike Pence was complaining that he was the victim of intolerance, but it seems like this whole Rifra episode is the death is a death rattle of anti. Yeah, I mean, uh, one 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 thing that I keep coming back to is that is that the the main the main the main group of people who oppose things like marriage equality they share something in common. They're really old, and and so the the limit the the biggest limit to. Uh, to continuing these kind of discriminatory practices and this sort of, you know, I call it homophobic statecraft is that, you know, in a generation's time, there just won't be enough people left to believe that. Oh, that was more literal than so, I yeah, thought. So, yeah, it is. Yeah, no. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Literally, oh, we're talking man. about I didn't mortality. know we were, I didn't want. Oh, geez. All right. Death. We're all going to die. That's just basically. <laughs> basically, we all die and our great works pass from this earth. Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at SoThatHappened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us what you think of the show, what we're messing up, and who you'd like to hear more from or more about. Okay, back to the program. All right, so we're going to talk about something else that was big this week. It's something I hate. Jason, you weren't hate. you weren't in the office. On I Wednesday. wasn't in the office. Uh, I am a I am totally intolerant. Okay, I'm a bigot. I'm a bigot against April Fools. Oh wow! People who practice April foolery, and it's weird. My transformation has been the opposite because for a long time I was kind of like, yeah, April Fools jokes are okay. I even participate in a few myself. But I've come to realize that April Fool is a April Fool's Day is a scourge against humanity, and I no longer support it. It it's uh, it sounds like you had a bad experience. I yeah, well, we had a bad experience here in what, this office. We learned through experience. A bad what was experience. which was the bad one? Is this the the Sam? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so you know this is a co- uh, we're we're here today. You know we're 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 gonna get a little bit personal, but we're we're also gonna. T- I think 
provide everyone with a cautionary tale against April Fool's jokes. It's when it's when foolery goes bad. You know, we uh, it's it, it, uh, I'm reminded this actually was four years ago. This was 2011. 2011. That's it, it's it's crazy how much. It and every year you take the day off. When, I, it, when it falls on a weekday. Well, yeah, and, and <laughs> lucky me, that's only like literally happened like <laughs> one or two times since then. I but scheduled. Yeah. I I got a haircut. I left. Yeah, too. I don't come to the office anymore because I just don't trust it. I don't. It's not safe. It's, it's not a safe it's space. It's completely not safe. It's completely not safe. So so four years ago, you know, five years ago here in this office, we thought we were pretty good practical jokesters. We actually uh, managed to convince uh, the editors in New York. That we had authentically obtained a uh, a guest post from LL Cool J, uh, and, which uh, is not even that far fetched to me. It would no, it's totally. But it was it was wacky at the time. It's absolutely not far fetched. Uh, we were, you know, the whole idea was like, hey, some, LL Cool J wants to write something for us. Are you guys interested in? It? Of course, everyone's like, yeah, shit, that sounds great. So we we covered ourselves. We actually wrote something that plausibly sounded like LL Cool J. Um, and like you know, we didn't mistreat LL Cool J, but we like really thought about the kind of thing he'd be interested in talking about, uh, and like how we would how we would write a, a blog post for us, and we created it, and it was sufficiently plausible. Uh, and then we backed ourselves up by creating like fake email addresses for LL Cool J's literary <laughs> agent and stuff like that, and like. Literally, this thing was about to go live onto the website when we said, okay, it's a joke. Don't put it up there. <laughs> Don't put it up there. You know, and like you see there was the fun and then there was the restraint. And then the next year, the practical jokers in this office lost sight of the restraint very <laughs> well, badly. It, and I. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. I think it started with uh, Sam Stein getting upset yes. at his desk. Yes, yeah. So, so the the this is the joke that went wrong four years ago. Sam Stein, uh, our, our our wonderful reporter here, uh, got upset uh, with another one of our colleagues, Shaheen Nasirpour, our very easygoing, fun-loving, not at all hot-headed uh, economic <laughs> reporter. Uh, they had found they, they they had staged this fight between them, like a super hot, crazy fight. This was uh, the month Jen Bendery started. It was. It, it was. started a week after we were, this. I, I was just talking to Dave Jameson, who covers uh, labor for that. us. He started two days after this happened. Like he walked into an environment where we're all still very emotionally scarred. So they they had a huge fight, and it, it was plausible that they might be fighting because. They had had a tiff some years back. They had, they had, and they uh, expertly planted their well, fake fight in that tiff. They had had a real fight uh, at a massive like lunch meeting with Ariana Huffington and all the editors assembled in the room. Yeah, and Shaheen uh, just just said our you know he bitched us out on the yeah. politics team. He was on the business team. Yeah, he thought our coverage was frivolous, and we were like, nah. It was like, did you know that you work for the Huffington Post? Yeah, but anyway. It was pretty funny. We settled it. Yeah, that beef got quashed, but it wasn't quashed sufficiently that we thought that when, when they started fighting again, we all sort of like saw it as an extension of this previous fight that they had had. And man, this thing got out of hand quickly because like what we were hearing in the office, and you have to understand this is the perspective of being in the same office as these people working alongside them. What we were hearing from Sam was that Shaheen was on the warpath, super mad at Sam for something he did. I can't remember. It was like a story he would or wouldn't write or edit. And like Shaheen had laid down an ultimatum 
that like if, if this wasn't dealt with, Shaheen was quitting. Like it was extreme and emotional and weird. And like over the period of like several hours, they sort of like nurtured this act. Well, they uh, now there was an you know Sam forwarded us the email and everything. Yeah, it was, it was to the editor in New York, Tim O'Brien, from Shaheen. Said Tim, as you are undoubtedly aware, lately Sam and I have not been seeing eye to eye on many matters. I'm reading the email. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's a continuation of a subtle feud that has lasted for months, and it predates it predates you, Tim O'Brien. I can't take it anymore. He now attempts to direct our business coverage, even if I've even after I've told to butt out of politics coverage. He belittles me privately and worse crows about this to his sources. Word has gotten around. It may it may uh, so this may have been you know they both were dealing with the White House. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe maybe something had gotten around. Uh, well, I don't want to be drastic. Frankly, I see no alternative. It's me or him. Yeah, yeah. So that's. If you want to keep Sam, I'll be disappointed, but we'll respect your decision. Please let me know, so I can commence my yeah. search for, un for so, employment elsewhere. So Sam Stein, wow. okay, Shaheen was was out of our office. He was working in New York at the time. Sam Stein was in the office, and I have to say, I have an MFA, okay, in theater, okay. I've I've acted. I feel like I know what I'm doing when I'm acting on stage, and like the. Brutalist part of this April Fool's joke was learning that like Sam Stein was thirty thousand times the actor I ever was because he nurtured this hurt and this anger and he projected it so well and that we're all well not all Arthur Delaney sitting here admirably refused to believe that this was real. Well, why uh, kept so, insisting it was April Fool's Day? Well, and I wanted to. It believe It was you April too. Fool's Day. I it, well, say, of course it was. I wanted to believe you too. But the coup de grace to me was like finally what happened was that Tim O'Brien was like, I'm putting both of you on the phone, and we're going to settle this. And we weren't invited to the room, but we happened. Yeah, they, we were they, all. They rigged it so we happened to like. Yeah, hear Sam this. was Sam was like, we're going to talk about it in the conference room, and we all sort of migrated because we're also emotionally invested in what we thought was a, was maybe real. That we all were listening in on this conference call, and none of us stopped to think, why would they do this on speakerphone? Because we're idiots, and like <laughs> essentially, Tim O'Brien decided right then and there that Sam was fired. And like, so we all, not all, I, I want to say, we, not all, most of us thought, holy crap, Sam Stein, the guy who's been working in this bureau since its beginning, is, has been fired. We were crazy with like rage and confusion. I was upset. Zach Carter, who usually joins us in this podcast, was super upset. You guys were about to jump off the roof. We were really mad. We were really mad. Ryan Grimm, our bureau chief, who I, I'll never, I still don't know if at the time he said this he was in on the joke or not in on the joke. He said he wasn't, but I think he was. He said he said if they if they go through with this, we're all walking off. And I was like, and I was like, Christ! <laughs> oh I was like, God. I was like, I was like, okay. So principal guides me to say, well, if they fire Sam for this, I should walk off. I should walk off and protest. But I didn't want to go home to my wife and say, so honey, guess what? Uh, we're not gonna make rent this week. Uh, because uh, I quit my job because of this nonsense. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking she probably would be like, you go back and get your fucking job. I signed Ryan's letter. I think it was an there actual was a letter? letter. Yes, there was an actual letter. I signed it and maintaining this isn't really happening, but yeah, Ryan, sure, I'll quit too. And I was in the back of my mind like, oh man, I don't want to lose my it got, job. It got crazy out of hand. It got crazy out of hand. And Arthur, you were saying earlier that like what really hurt was that as someone who like absolutely sussed it out as a prank, it wasn't you didn't actually benefit from the knowledge that it was a prank. Well, I didn't. Uh, the crucial link was that I didn't. I thought it was a prank on Sam. Yeah, I didn't know it was actually Sam pranking us. Yeah, and none of us could have conceived that Tim O'Brien would agree to play a part in a prank. This serious, he was he was like one of our top editors. We, like we we didn't think we didn't think for a second he would agree to be on this joke. But the thing is, is that every like you said, every person we turned to to like settle this, and none of us had the foresight to actually call Ariana and have her settle this because we're idiots. why would we do was that? she in on it? No, 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 she wasn't in on it. But I, I would be, she may be finding him out for the first time. I I, I reached out to uh, you know senior managers in New York and say, hey, listen. Um, all day long, this prank has been going on. It's getting out of hand. People are really upset. People are talking about quitting. Can you please talk to Tim and like get them to call it off? Yeah. Uh, and and each time I did this, the person I contacted would go over, and then just be brought into the fold. Of yeah. The prank. Yeah. So it kept growing. Yeah, it got super out of hand. Eventually, they let us all off the hook. 
So how long did it go on in total? It I, went on for an entire day. <laughs> it went. On it was at least an entire day. afternoon. It consumed the day, and, and it it was uh, people were. Shaking. It consumed our lives for an afternoon, but you have to understand that like this began. This began that morning. Yeah. Like the seeds were planted. So when the when the truth finally came out, how did people react? I was pissed off. Angry. Still, he's still angry I'm about still it. Still angry to this day. Didn't does it work on April Fool's? Yeah, day? I don't work on April Fool's Day. I don't participate in April Fools anymore. Did Sam and Shaheen think they were like the funniest people in the world? Yes. Yes, they still do. They still think this is genius, a master stroke. Uh and like you know, you you told me uh Monday. That 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 Sam and Nico were were had been talking just about pranks in oh, general. Oh yeah, we and had I, to get our guard up. Uh, uh, S- Sam was uh, told me I just saw this great movie called Windy City Heat, which was a prank movie. He said he happened to mention that Nico Pitney had emailed him about it. So I said, so you and Nico have been emailing about pranks? Yeah, yeah. On the thirtieth of March, and then and then Sam was like. Let's do a prank. Let's get somebody. Red flag. I said, Sam, forget it. Don't try to get me to let my guard down with some fake prank you want to play on somebody else as just a trick so that I am ultimately pranked. Can I just say? So I went and got a haircut. When you've been when you've been inside the dark side of April Fool's Day, it does change your life. Like, I don't I can't be sure if I was or wasn't pranked yesterday. I can't be sure that anything's real. Yeah, you know, like even though I took the day off, like I kept imagining it was like, well, they could be doing something at my desk, they could be doing something at my computer, you know. Yeah, I, and, and for somebody who's I, already concerned, they could be windy city heating me right now. You don't know whether what you're experiencing yeah. is reality, and then and this just just pushes you further into the shadows, and you really don't know if anything is real. Uh, it shakes you in an existential way. Yeah. It was kind of strange this time, too, because Senator Menendez was has been indicted, and that was playing out right around all of this. And yes. so are the Iran nuclear talks. The deadline yes. was pushed to April 1st. Was Senator Menendez indicted, or was, yeah. that, or was that a prank? The, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it just all fell on this... All these big things fell on April Fool's Day. All day long, you couldn't trust a single thing you saw on Facebook because, like, brands were, like, putting stuff in your Facebook feed about, hey, we invented this thing. And it was like, oh, is that real? No, it's a prank. A, a real thing that got invented by Amazon, this weird button you can put in, like, your dryer to, like, or, Wi-Fi signal for more dryer sheets or detergent. People were like, oh, that's just a prank. And it was I like, still, no, that's a real thing. I still think it's a prank. I still think it's a prank, too. That's the thing. That's the thing. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. It's weird. Every time April Fool's Day comes up for me, I enter this period of time where I just can't be sure anything is real. I feel like I'm inside, like, the Inception dream. I don't know. (laughs) So, I mean, I just want to say, people, we need to stop April Fool's Day. It's not a holiday, and it's not fun. And the Internet has, if anything, made it terrible. Whatever it was before, John Oliver stood. Well, hang on a second. There was I thought there right to have done so. There was a a well-executed harmless April Fools that that Jen wrote about. You people are the the acronym. This is how it starts. Just that's harmless. Just briefly explain it. It was. I think it was an example of April Fools done right. Uh, A congressman put out a statement. Congressman Mike Honda from California saying he had filed a bill called the Acronym Act. Acronym itself was an acronym for a very long. Word then, and in his press release, he said that the the point of the bill was to prohibit any bills that unnecessarily add words to the bill titles, so they can make an acronym out of the bill name. It was <laughs> it, yeah, it was the uh, Accountability and Congressional Responsibility on Naming Your Motions Act. Yes, and and he put it out, and he it was hilarious. I mean, he I for a split second. Believed it. And I was like, oh, April Fool's Congress. The, the funny thing is, uh, as a piece of legislation, it is as meritous as many and it could as have many been, bills introduced by backbenchers. And it no could have been introduced on any other fucking day. Nobody got See, hurt. See, this is how this is how we never let these monsters die. Is when we say, Oh, but that one thing they did on April Fool's was great. It wasn't. I if it was that, great, it would have been right, funny. All right, the all right, year. I think enough. I'm with Arthur on this one. I, if nobody gets hurt, yeah, go for it. Nobody like it's clearly not a, our entire office got hurt four years ago. Yeah, that was a prank in the sense that like you punch somebody in the face and say ha ha, and you <laughs> laugh at their misfortune. Well, you laugh at their anguish. 
I, I guess for some reason, this debate is just going to have to continue. I really thought I would settle it today. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Well, let's talk about something else that we probably won't settle today. Homelessness. Yes. Uh, homelessness, still a big thing. Housing, still a major concern for people. And Arthur, you wrote a story about, uh, you, you've been writing some really great stories about homelessness lately, but tell us about your, your most recent story. They have a way to, at least this is how it seems, theoretically. We can end the chronic homelessness. Not all homelessness. I think mo- most homelessness is caused by economic factors, job loss, insufficient pay, uh, you know, relationship problems. The they, degradation of mental health yeah. services. Well, no, now that, now that is the one where there, a solution seems to have been found. Oh, really? These are the most visible homeless people. These, I, I just wanted to point out that you know, people who are couch surfing, 7 million Americans at risk of being evicted, it doesn't, it doesn't miraculously... Take away the threat of uh, you know losing your your place of living. But anyway, for homeless people on the street who seem crazy or seem like they're on drugs, they found a way. This has been a problem in this country since the '80s, really. After uh, you know uh, involuntary commitment of uh, mental patients really ended as a thing, uh, and. People were on the streets, and it was a little crisis. And they, and there, since then, had been an ad hoc system of emergency shelter. And now, uh, since the '90s, uh, when this group called Pathways to Housing in New York pioneered a housing first approach, where instead of saying, "Hey, take your medication, sober up," or anything like that, they just hand over the keys to an apartment, and that is the best way to keep those people off the street. And do, I mean, do they get help beyond just like once they're in their apartment? Yes, but not session? it's not a condition yeah. of remaining housed. They they just have to obey the terms of their lease. But yeah, the idea is then after you're in there, we will take care of you to whatever extent you're willing to let us. Yeah. And uh it's it's been studied over and over independently and found to both reduce homelessness among targeted people by a much greater extent than other programs with sobriety prerequisites say and also and this is the neat thing about it costs less money ah because the trick is well people say well oh well yeah sure great give the homeless homes uh if you've got a billion dollars laying around that'll be a great way to solve the problem but what people don't realize, because the costs are externalized from various groups, that leaving people on the streets is actually very expensive because they wind up in jail and in hospitals and other places where you know, it costs a lot of money to run the place. It seems to me that one of the critical impediments you have if you are uh, someone who is attempting to uh, intervene uh, with someone uh, who, who's, who, who, who needs medical intervention for mental illness, that just the sheer fact that you cannot find them yeah. uh, on, a, on a regular basis, regular consistent basis, is problematic. I remember uh, uh, being up in New York, uh, the, I think two weeks before the uh, Republican National Convention was in New York City, uh, several years ago, and I was there a few weeks before, and I remember reading a Village Voice article at the time, uh, talking about how how what it what the city had done is basically come in and like essentially swept all the homeless people away. Yeah, and so a lot of the a lot of the medical professionals and and homelessness advocates who had been who essentially spent spent most of their week reaching out to people living on the street, building a rapport with them. Uh, getting earning their trust so that then they can like slowly help and intervene with the problems they had. Suddenly, all of their contacts were gone. They couldn't find anyone they had been talking to, and they knew that once they managed to reestablish contact, were they if they were to be that lucky, they would 
have to reembark on the entire relationship building because th- those people have been traumatically removed from the places they had been and perhaps th- put in put in some kind of facility. Uh, and so the level of trust they had in anyone approaching them would have been vastly diminished. They talked about how they're going to have to like essentially start all over. I bet that really illustrates why leaving people on the streets doesn't work. Because if you have no stability, how are you going to keep taking your medication? How how will you keep it if it's in a bag by a park bench and all of a sudden you're told to get lost by police and you're separated from the bag? Yeah. You're just going to you're you're not going to get better that way. So, uh this works. Uh, how do they find people? People are are in the woods. Uh, they do outreach, like in shelters, of course, but also they go to the parks. They go to these uh, out of the way places, like under overpasses, and in the woods. I think to some extent, uh, and you know, people, even people who live in the woods, are not always there. The guy I profiled for a story last week had lived, he said, in the woods for about twenty years in uh, Prince George's, Maryland, uh, and he met an outreach worker when he happened to be in a shelter and he heard the person saying, like, I'm looking for veterans, we'll give you an apartment. So it was this promise of a a place to live of your choosing, not in a shelter, not in a building that's just for homeless people, but, uh, you know, somewhere in a neighborhood and even a nice neighborhood in a normal apartment. And he has one. And he's been there for uh, more than two years. And it's a pretty good place i saw it and he's up front like yeah i hear voices that are uh you know threatening and bad but at least now i'm not gonna drink a bottle of seagram's right i can stay in here uh and i can i can take a shower or you know clean the kitchen does he recognize that he has a mental illness yes and uh you know he's he's totally upfront about it he said it he this said is the subject of your story yeah mark, his name is mark <clears throat> thompson and he's 55 and he said yeah uh all that time in the woods i think uh when i was just drinking i was he was alone a lot uh because he was miserable he said he think that he started hearing voices as a result of that which i don't think is an unusual totally unusual way for a person to develop schizophrenia but anyway he's he's uh got a real handle on it. I mean, some people can hear voices and not realize that they're hearing voices, but he can. I know that there are, there are, there are uh, communities now that are taking a sort of a housing first approach to the homeless, regardless of whether they are mentally ill or not. Um, and and the argument is that it's cost effective. Yeah. Uh, I suppose that the argument against it is like, oh, well, you're just breeding dependents. They're moochers. Yeah, it's just an, it's just, uh, an intuitive, old-fashioned argument that if you're just going to give people stuff, it's not going to help them get better. And at, and at least in the case of these chronically homeless people, it's it's uh, that logic doesn't has failed. Yeah. And Housing First, at least so far, has not failed, has been proven over and over to be pretty good. But, like, I did a long story in Florida where they're constantly finding new ways to arrest homeless people in that viewpoint. Really, even though Housing First is popular in the upper echelons of the federal government, on the ground in, in towns across the country, it's just like, oh, we got to either, we got to make it illegal to lie down. We got to buy people bus tickets out of town. We need to outlaw blankets. It's stuff like that. Right. Uh, so Housing First is nowhere near, I don't think. Well, actually, they, they do think they're, they'll get... Uh, chronic homelessness ended, you know, within the near future. But it's not like you look at D.C. where we have, because of high rent and lack of high-paying jobs, hundreds of families homeless all the time and uh, filling up our shelter and in motels because D.C. is an unusual city that guarantees shelter. Uh, The Housing First principle is to just rapidly put people back in housing, but getting it up to scale for people who aren't mentally ill and chronically homeless seems to be a real challenge and not something that's about to happen. Because where, even if you want to do that, where are you going to find the apartments? Yeah. It's going to be really yeah. expensive in that case, contrary to where you're saving money on all these ER and jail visits. What, you know, one of the things is that it's it's getting so difficult to actually secure if you're if you're uh if you're working class middle class and you live in one of these big cities it's getting more and more difficult to actually secure just affordable rent you can live in yourself i worry that like someday you're going to see people actually building housing first uh apartment arrangements for 
chronically homeless people because the bootstrap argument does fall in a hole when you can't secure your stuff and take a shower and have a nice you've got nowhere to put job your, your bootstraps yeah. right nowhere to put your bootstraps but i worry that like one day we'll have like a, a you know an apartment building that's built uh you know to do housing first homelessness intervention and there's going to be a ton of working class people who will be like but i'll happily pay a higher rent to have that space right that's like i feel like dc encapsulated right now is the on 14th street there was that uh, homeless shelter Yes, on the 14, Central Union Mission. A big one, right? And yep. and they bulldozed it and turned it into condos. And they didn't bulldoze it. The the the, the, the main structure is still around. Oh, okay. Then they and just must have revamped it because it have, was all covered up. And they're super nice condos. And yeah, what's, what's, like high end condos. What's curiously ironic about that is that you still know it's a Central Union Mission if you walk um, uh, down 14th Street uh, toward the White House, in the direction of the White House, uh, because up on the top. Yeah, says, I've seen Come that. Unto me, yeah, which was the thing that designated as like. Where did those people go? Uh, I think they went elsewhere. They were talking about building a new homeless shelter up on Florida Avenue, but of course, NIMBYism, uh, I think, imperiled that. Yeah, they're st- they're still they're trying to shift away from the big shelters and more toward apartments. Yeah, uh, in general, which reflects the housing first. Entrenchment. We still have the biggest homeless shelter in America, the Federal City Shelter uh, in, in downtown D.C. It has more than 1,000 people in it wow. every night. Yeah. So it's an amazing contrast here, like the Potomac Gardens housing project in southeast D.C. There is now, on the same block as this, like right next to it, up went $200,000 uh, per unit condo building. Yeah. It's like in the fence of the projects. Yeah. That uh, that particular space on 14th Street, man, is it riven with irony for me. Yes. You can now, the, the, you know, the retention of the come unto me sign on the top, that's driven by nostalgia for what the building used to be. What the building used to be was a space for very poor people, very destitute people to uh, have a tiny bit of dignity. So now you can own a super expensive condominium in D.C. that is inscribed with a beacon from the Lord to the poor and destitute <laughs> to come there. Wow. It's America. <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for joining us, guys. You can follow Arthur, the senior reporter for the Huffington Post, on Twitter, at Arthur Delaney, HP. H is in Harry, P is in Potter. Please follow me. I, I'm dying to have more followers. You can follow Jen Bendery, our White House correspondent, at J. Bendery, B-E-N-D-E-R-Y. You can follow me at Deceiver. D-C as in Washington, D-C. E-I-V-E-R. I won't deceive you. That's just a nickname. All right, good night. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta and Adriana Ucero. I'm Jason Lincolns, and this week we were joined by HuffPost reporters Jen Bendry and Arthur Delaney. So That Happened is available on iTunes. Check us out in the iTunes store and look for the Huffington Post's whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, send an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, we thank you very much for listening, and we miss you already. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.